0: Hello and a warm welcome to you, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of Shoe to Shu's Free Thought Podcast. I'm Bali Shubin. Today we speak to our special guest, Ramon Lee. Ramon Lee is a dedicated activist, poet, and community organizer. He has created art that is thought-provoking, timely, and highly significant. His writings and works demonstrates his capacity to bring his own experiences into contemporary concerns about inculturation, acculturation and societal transformation. He is an anthropologist, journalist and artist who has authored and published two excellent books. Ramon produced a deeply moving piece of work titled Notes from the Fire for our political poetry issue in 2021. He also wrote for the public art issue. Welcome, Ramon Ni. It's a joy to have him here today, and I'm looking forward to talking and learning from his insightful thoughts, as well as hearing more about his comments on, and his experience with spoken word, and some other relevant issues that we'll be addressing here today. Hello. Hi. Hi, Ramon. Hey, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Thanks. It's great to have you here today.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: That's great. Okay. So, firstly, could you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into this line of work? What inspired you to become a poet?
1: Okay. So, um, I actually started doing poetry when I was uh, 12 years old. I was fortunate enough to uh, have a English language arts teacher who was really interested in um, helping students to be able to express themselves in a sense. I was, you know, a black kid from, you know, an uh, urban area in Atlanta, um, you know, Self-expression was important, uh, at least she felt so, and she kept skilled instilled that in me in a very young age. And so I started writing poems as just a way of expressing myself. And then I started doing, like, little poetry competitions and things like that. So
0: the beginning was inspired by your personal experiences, mm-hmm. you would say. Yes. And um, how much of your environment and what you witnessed from um, outside you know outside of your personal experience just what you saw around you would you say was part of your poetry back then um as opposed to it being mostly just your about your subject your subjective experience if that makes sense um i
1: think um i really didn't i developed the language for what was going on around me through poetry so it wasn't like you know the poetry was um it wasn't like the language for what I, what I experienced came before the poetry. They kind of happened simultaneously. So um, as I started to write poetry, I started to reflect on, you know, different aspects of life and um, my surroundings and uh, both politically and socially uh, became a part of that work. Slowly over time, so um, it definitely, you know, around fourteen, fifteen, that work started to become the poetry became a little bit more political.
0: Okay, yes, and how how do your poems develop? Can you um, give us a guide um, through the stages of your poems?
1: Um, honestly, it, it's um, every poem is a different process, but um, the kind of basic process for me uh seems to always be uh starts with you know a thought or feeling of need of self-expression um and simply what that means is that like you know I witness something happening or I feel something and I want to kind of articulate that feeling and that writing process for me is a way of um sort of like coming to know what how I feel about and how I'm thinking about certain events and things so um yeah, it's, it's a it's an investigative journey, kind of.
0: Yes. Would you say it's, it's quite therapeutic for you as well?
1: Always, yes, definitely is always therapeutic. Um,
0: so you're based in the US, and I was reading about um, how Congress has passed um, and President Biden has signed a new law making Juneteenth a federal holiday. Um, In your notes of fire, you have poetry about this holiday. And I I just wanted to say, I read, I have a quote here that reads that making Juneteenth a federal holiday does not right the wrongs of our nation's past, but it finally gives recognition and voice to those who suffered by Senator Edward J. Markey. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you explain more in depth why Juneteenth is so important to America and what it means to you in present day? Um, what is one thought or feeling you have about Juneteenth?
1: Well, so we have American Independence Day, right? And it's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, gets celebrated every year. But as a Black person in the United States, it's often, you know, a person of color in the United States is often like, you know, it kind of feels like a slap in the face because, you know, you know, 1776 wasn't when we um, received our freedom um, in this country. And it wasn't until, you know, you know, it wasn't until eighty eighty nine 89 years later <laughs> that this happens. And it didn't happen in July. It happened in June, you know, June 19th, um, when Texas finally as the last, you know, state to um, to abolish slavery finally did so and so for us that that um is a recognition of not only that history but of um that sense that america is really starting to realize that um the symbolic meanings of like these holidays and not not just the holidays but the of these confederate uh statues and things like that and what they mean symbolically to you know people of color which is like becoming slowly becoming a majority of the population here so definitely Mm -hmm. it's something we we that's that's definitely something we think about
0: you said that it was um you it was a slap in the face um are, are you talking about the holiday or um president biden um passing the law of making it a federal holiday
1: well no i'm saying like um prior to um the that becoming a holiday you know celebrating the 4th of July for us was like a uh, slap okay. in the face. And having Juneteenth, you know, it's like a confirmation. It's like confirmation and affirmations of sort of our experience and our feelings about uh, our own freedom and how it was kind of disconnected from, you know, American Independence Day.
0: Okay, I understand. So you may have mixed feelings about celebrating the 4th of July. hmm So how do um, most African Americans... Um, Celebrate on that day, or do you skip it, or um, how, how how does that work?
1: I think it depends on how radical your politics are, because I think um, for the most part, most um, you know African Americans are proud to still be Americans, so they celebrate yeah. it at you know the Fourth of July um, as um, Americans, and they celebrate it to represent the fact that yeah they love their country. Um, but in on the note of Juneteenth, I think the the political side of that is also recognizing that you know this holiday is more representative of us as african americans being sort of going from human chattel to sort of beginning the path to citizenship
0: yes i understand and you know i'm i'm coming from south africa and uh-huh. as a south african i also i feel that as a black south african i believe that our two countries have something in common in that while it is true that um, for a country like South Africa, it, we have developed that sense of restorative power since the end of apartheid, the country still also has that complicated relationship with its past. And um, it's still plagued with themes of uh, dislocation and contradiction. And despite the fact that apartheid um, abolished segregation, there is still that lack of integration. And I think that's quite similar um, the country's, um, unequal power relationships remain a key concern. And, um, I think even in, um, contemporary Africa, in a contemporary African country like South Africa, the racial hierarchy in which white privilege reigns over blackness is still quite prevalent. And I think this is the same in America as it is here as well, even if, you know, we're in Africa here.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like, um, uh, you know, because we always talk about sort of legalized segregation in the United States versus uh, sort of, you know, de facto segregation, which is like this idea that you you have people who, um, you know, you still have it being very p- much a part of the cultural system and mm-hmm. these structural sort of um, uh, features that are in place uh, that sort of create the situation where it remains like a structural issue. And people look at it like, okay, it's, you know, segregation is over, apartheid is over, um, you know, um, slavery is over, all these things are over, so the effects of them should be over. And that's not the reality that we live in. Uh-huh. Yeah, true. So, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and I also I found your poem called um, "Invoking Melanin" to be particularly ap- appealing and very relevant as a Black South African as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, when I think of movements like um, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, it it always reminds me of how critical it is for us to stand in solidarity and to recognize that Black suffering really knows no borders. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because even, yeah, Uh, during um, apartheid, also I say, like many um, African-Americans backed us and they were among the most vocal supporters of sanctions against the system. And I believe that, we can empathize with one another in the sense that we all understand black suffering, regardless of, um, you know, which nation we're coming from.
1: Yeah. And that's one, um, uh, one of the things that I try to get through in a lot of my work, um, especially in my poetry, um, mm-hmm. is that this idea of transnational blackness or transnational black citizenship is something that's heavy. It's something that like deeply impacts us all as black people across the globe, because we, we can identify with our each other's sort of struggles and, and experiences in that way. Um, that is you know, race based, but it's often unique in a sense where we are not necessarily conflating all of our experiences as the same, but we're understanding those overlaps, those parallels and how, you know, skin color and, and sort of these different characteristics of identity become mm-hmm. um, sort of uh, marginalized and treated as inferior characteristics and how that sort of determines our our social status in various countries and under various borders i was talking you know recently with someone about um thinking about police and and police violence and you know brazil versus um nigeria and in london and in the united states and how in in various other places in the Caribbean and around the world and how Black people are disproportionately policed in all of these different countries, whether they're predominantly Black countries or not, because of sort of these um, impacts and effects of colonialism. And so, yeah, I definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah, it definitely does have its cracks in colonialism because even here, the the police brutality, it's, yeah, it's very much like... um, in America, I would say. Um, also, um, going back to the the poetry aspect, why would you say is poetry important to African American history?
1: Um, why is it? Po-
0: well, I think
1: like again, it goes back to that 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 idea of self expression. Um, we've always, you know, in Black history, as far as I can think back, uh, we've always done sort of expressed ourselves through oral traditions and poetry and, and these forms of whether it was written poetry or vocal poetry and spoken word it we've always expressed ourselves through these very communicative strategies to sort of represent our experiences but also um as acts of resilience so like i think that for us it's always important to remember that history because it situates um our history but also situates our ways in which we empower ourselves and i don't know about you in the you know south african context but um for me that's a that's a of connecting to you know you know not only blackness but people around the globe and helping them to sort of understand and feel and connect to those experiences
0: yes absolutely what is the history of um or cultural significance of spoken word um, I think it it, it for for me is like it develops out of this tradition, um,
1: in the late twentieth century, of um taking these sort of um symbolic and rhythmic um stylings from you know blues and um jazz and all these other forms of music and using it as a a different performative strategy that is not necessarily based on music um but it it still you know involves that same kind of storytelling that same kind of um sort of political reflection that sort of provides a different um arena for people who maybe not musically inclined but are sort of have these experiences and ways that they want to express themselves where they can have a window in a world where they can do that and so um i think about the Mira baracas i think about uh even so- uh, you know poets like Asada Shakur, who you know was uh, in the Black Liberation Army and and a big fighter in that movement, but also having such um, passionate and way uh, and unique and symbolic ways of expressing herself um, in her sort of work, both in her autobiography and in her other works, you know, and so it becomes like uh, something that sits adjacent and sits in, and sort of in compatibility with um, black liberation struggles at large. Um, And that really emerges, you see in the sixties and seventies. And when you start to see those things um, being a great influence and then those, that sort of movement of spoken word, having a a big sort of impact on hip hop and, and sort of the development of that musical tradition as well. So I would say it's deeply ingrained in that sort of Black revolutionary political um, history.
0: And um, can you um, tell us about your personal experience with spoken word and how you were introduced into spoken word poetry?
1: (laughs) um okay so it's two different origin stories but uh and i'll 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 summarize them really quickly the first was in college i um a lot of my friends were spoken word artists and they they performed spoken word and i kind of tried it for a while but i was kind of like stayed had really bad stage fright when it came to uh sort of my own personal writing and it was interesting because as a kid, I had participated in church plays and school plays and things like that. And those things were easy for me, um, speech contests and things like that. But like the spoken word arena was a little bit different. So I would say at that time I wasn't ready. And then back in 2016, um, I was, you know, deeply immersed in, um, the artistic community in Albany, New York, and, uh, which is the capital city in New York, uh, And I spent a lot of time with, you know, writers, poets, spoken word artists and activists. And then I started to get that push from them to sort of perform some of my pieces because they knew I wrote poetry, but they didn't. uh, But I didn't really perform. And so, um, you know, I started trying out a a couple of open mics and um, I got a good reception from crowds. And so then my poem started to transform um, into more spoken word pieces. And so uh, which led to my first book, actually. And that's how that sort of um, journey as a spoken word artist began.
0: Can you tell us a bit about your first book?
1: Um, yeah. So the first book was called Voices, uh, Poems by Identity and Liberation, which was like, um, and it was about, it was split into four parts. It was about um, sort of love and relationships, sex and sexuality. Uh, politics and power and, and religion and, and philosophy. So, like, um, it's split into those four parts um, in that exact order, actually. And so um, that book was a collection of spoken word pieces and poems about um, sort of this idea of being Black in America and this idea of uh, sort of dealing with these contemporary issues of Blackness, um, which included, like, not just, you know... Uh, Black liberation struggles, but um, Black feminism, uh, Black sexuality, which, which, you know, incorporates um, LGBTQIA politics, you know, you have all these different things that overlap and sort of these intersectional experiences that, um, you know, I was kind of dealing with and reflecting upon. And, you know, this wasn't just representative of me, but representative of the community I came from. And so a lot of those pieces were reflections of those experiences
0: and do you perform your poems at poetry slams what are
1: they um so poetry slams not so much but open mics I do I've done poetry events I've held um feature poem events where uh I remember when I finished my first book I had held a um um a reading slash uh, performance feature where I read a couple poems in the beginning of the show and then like towards the end, I performed a lot of different spoken word pieces, both from the book and newer pieces that ended up being a part of my next project. Um, And so, um, yeah, it was, it's definitely something that I, the performative arena is definitely some place that I enjoy being in and it's a space that Allows me and others to connect to each other and draw those collective experiences in that way too. So it's always wonderful and beautiful to be a part of those things.
0: And um, what's your favorite line of your own poem and your favorite poem that you have written? Whew,
1: A favorite poem that I've written, uh, actually, um, the the poem that I wrote and uh, that I sort of quoted in um the spoken word article um that i just wrote uh mm-hmm. power and um lyricism there is a poem called uh confessions of a backwater bastard um and um my favorite line from the poem is actually uh the last line um and it's it goes something a little like uh for those who have held on to corrupt power um, the Game Masters have decided that the game is over, right? Um, mm-hmm. And really what that means is it, it's about sort of the, playing this game of um, dealing with oppression and dealing with sort of these intersectional issues as, you know, both racial, sexual, gender-based, um, all of these different forms of oppression and being able to, you know, say that yeah while it's not a game but it you know if it feels like a game to people it's because they're not deeply in enough invested in sort of liberation struggles and um you know and as the controllers of our fate we have decided to take over this game if it's a game to you then we've decided to take over and end it right as an end in depression and so um
0: yeah that's a very powerful message yeah. How do you perceive your personal arts role in the context of various communities to which you belong? Um, what is the, what do you think is the artist's function in the community, in your opinion? Um,
1: I feel like the, the, the responsibility is um, of the author. And, and I think that, you know, when I say this, it's going to be slightly corny. But I think mm-hmm. the first um, responsibility is always truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, speaking truth to power. And I think that a lot of times, um, as activists, as artists, we often take that for granted. Um, because um a lot of our work, you know, we we take it as a given, that part as a given. When, you know, in reality, <laughs> you know, it is not so much given, um, as it is worked toward, dedicated, earned. And so in that sense, um I think our, our role is always to um, speak that truth and in speaking that truth to be honest and own up to the ways in which we can't measure up to it or we don't quite meet, you know, the lines of liberation or the lines of social change. And, and from that, you know, from those failures moving forward and building up on that to get to where we need to be. So.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate your art's um, thought-provoking and honest approach. It's important and it really does um, promote free thinking and gives a lot of insight into um, your country's history, character, and even the contemporary mood. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, um, what is the most important message you hope readers will take away from your poetry?
1: Um, I, I hope. Um, The most important message that readers um, would take is that, you know, anybody can be involved in social change. Anybody can uh, wake up one day and decide to do things differently. Anybody can be invested in, um, you know, a better world um, and treating each other better and and, and sort of helping those who are disenfranchised, who are sort Mm -hmm. of um, marginalized. And the point becomes that that, uh, for me, that um, you take the, that, the message from my work and say, OK, these are ways that we can move forward. These are ways that I can get involved. These are ways that I can step in there and I can be a part of um, these po- this positive social change, this way of like liberating the world, um, because, you know, when some of us suffer, we all suffer and um that's another message that i really hope people um take from my work
0: that's great yes well that's that's all of the questions i have for you thank you so much
1: thank you i I appreciate the opportunity and having me here
0: thank you for being here it was great speaking with you you too take care Bye. bye We have concluded another episode of the Free Thought Podcast. This has been a very informative and important discussion. Once again, I would like to thank our special guest, Ramon Lee, for joining us and being such a valuable contributor to this discussion. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Shutushu's Free Thought Podcast. Until next time, have a good one.